Howdy, y'all. Thank you all for continuing to support the sponsor of this episode, Cosmetic. Cosmetic's topical CBD products have so many benefits. My favorite is Cosmetic's Hemp Pain Cream. It is fantastic for treating aches and pains in your muscles and joints. Uh, Cosmetic's Hemp Pain Cream contains over 400 milligrams of their patented water-soluble CBD solution, and it works. Check them out at Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com. Use promo code SOS20 at checkout and get 20% off of your entire order. All right, showtime. Well, welcome in, guys. My name is Ben Fields. I host this podcast, South of the Scruffy. I talk to artists, entertainers, people who are doing cool stuff. And then I release it as a new episode every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and SouthofScruffy.com pretty common business model. Seems to work for me. So uh, thanks for stopping by and giving it a listen. I've got uh, Charlie Jennings on the show today. Charlie is a music industry veteran. Uh, He and his wife, Brandy, own a live music production company called Gray Street Events. Uh, Not sure if all of you know this, but the live music industry has been one of the most hard hit industries by the pandemic. Uh, That's where mine and Charlie's conversation kind of ended up uh, because he has so much insider industry knowledge about what the industry's going through and how they're going to get through it. Uh, Charlie's smart, though. He he saw the writing on the wall. He saw what was happening in his industry, and uh, he knew that COVID was going to play a big role in the entertainment industry moving forward. So so he and Brandy at Gray Street became certified COVID compliance officers for film and TV productions, which is how Charlie and I met. Uh, You're going to love his insight and his prognostication. Let's check it out. All right. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Jennings. We're doing the podcast. Thanks for coming. I'm excited. I appreciate it a lot. I think it's uh, it's weird to see your face. (laughs) (laughs) You've been our, uh, our COVID safety compliance officer lately so you know we're all masked up all day long we don't get to don't get to see anybody except at lunch it's pretty interesting uh because you find yourself sort of imagining what the rest of the person looks like and it's never right (laughs) i find (laughs) yeah my uh one of my buddies is a high school teacher and he said that the kids today were like can we see your face? We have no idea what you really look like. And he like stepped, I don't know if he went out the window or whatever, but like he went outside and took down his mask and they all looked out the window and they're like, ah, <laughs> you got a beard. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you can see my beard out the side <laughs> of the face mask. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's pretty you, good. Your world got turned kind of upside down with gig working and, and working in the industry, working in the, the, the live music industry, right? I mean, nobody's doing shows. No, I mean, there's a handful of people that are, you know, producing drive-in concerts yeah. and small socially distanced, uh, I think they're calling them pod based shows of, you know, people in little circles or squares, yeah. but that's very few and far between. How I are think, they keeping people separated in those pods? Um, tape I, on the ground, <laughs> spray paint. I think the starting point is spray paint. Uh, the step beyond that would be some sort of fencing. Yeah. Like a riser uh, system or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like some, some sort of barrier and then staff, which I mean, yeah. you know, people at some point are gonna, you know, they kind of want to move around. Yeah, especially after that seventh <laughs> beer. Yeah, the alcohol is definitely uh, a challenging factor to doing live events, I would say, in the, in the, in the pandemic. Yeah. 
But unfortunately, the business, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever, relies heavily on concession sales and merchandise sales and really people being mobile throughout the experience and right. going to sponsorship activations and this, that, and the other. And and you can't do that right now. So yeah. that really hampers the ability to um, finance these concerts. Yeah, and it seems like people are kind of all the rules are out the window. People are trying new things now to try to figure out a way just to stay afloat, mm-hmm. stay alive. They're having varying uh, degrees of success. Um, but it just, it's nice to go back and see live music, which I got to do last week or a couple weekends ago. Went to Marcus King at the Smoky Stadium. Mm. And it was cool. It was great to have live music back, but it, it still it still kind of feels different. It doesn't quite feel like the, the show, man. You go to the show, yeah, you know. Yeah, we went to a drive-in as well, and it was, I don't know, you're so spread out, and you don't really get to feel it, the energy of of the performer and the the audience and sort of the production elements quite the same way. But it was nice to do something. Yeah, that's true. There's a a couple of, uh, there's a company doing some drive-ins over in Asheville, right? Mm -hmm. A couple couple of the um, club uh, smaller independent promoters have launched events. One in uh, Waynesville, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is and it one, Gray Eagle? Gray Eagle's doing it in in one location. I'm not sure which one, and um, and I believe it's the the Asheville Music Hall slash One Stop is doing them as well. And, and at the, a different location. Yeah, one's in uh, Maggie Valley. Okay, as well that'd be so. the closer one to us. Yeah, so they're doing them there and Smoky Stadium, like you said, and I think there's uh, something going on up in Richmond. So there's, uh, you know, I think every week or two, there's something new pops up. So how do you measure success with something like that? Like I went and had a great time, but like, is it a financial success for the artists? Is it, you know, a success yeah. for the people going to the shows? I think that success right now is probably you know, slightly better than break even yeah. realistically that, you know, you did something. Stay you know, relevant. Yeah. I think it's, you know, well, first and foremost, I guess success would be, was it safe? And, you know, did everybody, you know, not get sick? That would yeah. be the first, the first, you know, thing to judge it on. But beyond that, yeah. I mean, did it, did everybody make a little bit of money? Did you, you know, the artist got to work, your crew got to work, you know, your staff, right. you know, people got to come out and have a good time. And um, if everybody, you know, didn't lose money doing that, then that's a pretty big win right now. Yeah. Which feels different than it was before, you know, before it big, big cash grab. It it feels like, feels like the live music industry in general kind of tends that way. Something's measured. It's success is measured by meat in the seats and bar sales. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, going into the pandemic, the business or industry was at an all time high. I don't, recall the exact, you know, stats, but you look at, you know, a little over 10 year period coming out of the recession back in the late, you know, 2000s, uh, up almost till 2010. And then what it looked like in 2019 headed into this year, it was just, I mean, it was unprecedented. Smoking hot. It was unreal. The amount of, uh, the, um, the volume of tours that were happening, the scale that they were at, um, you know, into stadiums, the number of large scale festivals that were sold out. I mean, it was just, uh, we hadn't seen anything like that in a while. I mean, he had been working its way towards it, but yeah. uh, it was big. Festivals are not a new thing, but they've never been this ubiquitous and prolific. There, There's 
hundreds of them every summer in the United States. And this has been happening in Europe for a while. But I feel like up until, you know, the late 1900s and, mm -hmm. the, you know, up into 2000, you know, that's when it really started to catch on and catch fire. And then live music, I think, became a much bigger part of the layperson's life mm -hmm. at that point. Did you see a boom right around then? Or Yeah, I mean, it... Um... I think it really started to change when you had Bonnaroo and Coachella, mm -hmm. you know, launch. Coachella was the late 90s, 99, I believe, was the first one. And then Bonnaroo, 2002, and kind of east-west east, east -west coast in terms of the really big, mm -hmm. you know, 100,000-ish person events. But, you know, beyond that at that time, you had a lot of other festivals going on. They were mostly mostly city festivals, things like uh, Memphis in May or Bill Street Music mm. Festival. Chattanooga's yeah. got one. Riverbend, River I think. Bend, yeah. yeah, you know, they had um, a Music Midtown in Atlanta. And yeah. These were all sort of block party events that were on the streets. And they yeah. had- You stayed in a hotel? Stayed in a hotel and you had this, typically this kind of like uh, lineup that was trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And what happened was, from my perspective- as the Bonnaroo started to develop and then and sort of the Bonner-inspired events that took place elsewhere in the country, it really started to affect those sort of city festivals, as we called them, because they didn't have an identity, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of their their programming. Right. And it forced a lot of those events to evolve, which was good, because now Music Midtown is very different than what it used to be. It was, it was totally recast. Um just as an example, and that was one of the big changes I think you saw that those events did exist. They were just very local or regional, mm -hmm. and and events started to become national. You know, you you would hear about things, uh, you know, that took place all across the country, um, not just in your backyard. Yeah. Do you remember Bonnaroo Northeast? <laughs> I do. I think that's about the time <laughs> I started at AC Entertainment, and and uh, yeah, it, it didn't didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> it, it 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 would have been great. Yeah, where was it supposed to be? Boston? Uh, no, I, th I you know I think it was in New York. Maybe was it was it? Boston. There was supposed to be a tour too. There was ah. a, there was a Bonnaroo tour that didn't happen either. I didn't know about that? Yeah, and Bonnaroo was uh and probably still. I mean, still is a it's a, it's a it's a place and a time a little bit. I feel like and yeah. it's kind of hard to extract that out of that you know out of Great Stage Park in Manchester and pop it down somewhere else. Yeah. And and then the Vegas thing is if we're thinking of like, I don't know, that had similar programming, I think. Yeah. Uh, took it to Vegas. That lasted two years, three, three years, three years. Yeah. Vegas did. Yeah. I mean, Vegas was the same founding partners as Bonnaroo. The, the lineup was, I think, you know, initially I have to look back, definitely very jam leaning, uh, which it was which, the which, first year. For yeah. Sure. Which Bonnaroo was at the time. And, you know, but it was mixed with some very uh, alternative rock, mm. uh, alternative rock in, in the yeah. 90s form, I would say, you know, bands like Queens of the Stone Age and yep. and Rage Against the Machine and, and even Daft Punk, which, you know, I guess you could call that alternative, at least if you grew up in the 90s like I did. Yeah. But um, all the way to, to a more modern band like the Killers, who were, I believe, from Las Vegas. They are. Um, so it was a pretty amazing mix of jam and alternative rock that I thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately this event took place in the heart of the recession in Las Vegas, which was yeah. hit really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if you did this event today, it would 
do a hundred thousand people probably. <laughs> yeah. Don't they do uh, the Daisy Carnival or something out yeah, there? You got, you got, yeah. You have Electric Daisy Carnival, which does, I think, 120 or yeah. 50,000 It's people. electronic, right? It's at, all electronic. And it's at the same place that Vegas was? Different place. It's, oh, it's at a different yeah, place? Yeah, it's at the Speedway. Oh, and, not at the football field. Correct. Not at and, and, but you field. also have Life is Beautiful in downtown Las Vegas, which is a very close approximation, I would say, to Vegas, just, you know, 12 years later or whatever it's been. Gotcha. So, What's that one called? Uh, Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, AC, you know, you were, how long were you at AC? I was there uh, 11 years, if you count sort of like internships and part-time, yeah. but but nine years full-time. I guess you watched it grow a good bit, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. When I started, it was less than 10 people. Um, the Tennessee Theater was under renovation. I don't think yeah. the Bijou Theater wasn't open. Right. Um, the the club in town was Blue Cats, uh, which was predated the Mill and Mine and the Valerium. And, uh, bon, you know, the, the big claim to fame was Bonnaroo. And the, the company was in a big transitional period in 2004 for like Bonnaroo just happened. It was like, oh, crap, this thing just it's exploded, yeah. you know, this little, we're this little tiny company. Um, but yeah, I, I did that and, uh, over, yeah, I mean, it, we grew, I don't know, six, seven times over while I was there probably. Wow. And so there was no, like you weren't programming the stages locally at the time other than blue cats. Is that right? Or yeah. booking, booking those yeah, stages? Yeah. Yeah. We really, the only, yeah, the only local venue we really, well, we did Sundown in the city at the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, or, and we would do an occasional show in the world's fair park. Okay. Um, so that was one of my big, uh, that was my f- first big uh outdoor event i kind of managed myself was we we did jack johnson at world's fair park back mm. in 2005 i believe it was yeah wow, yeah i remember that show yeah, yeah it was that was big my first concert was at world's fair park it was hot summer nights oh yeah and i i think it i was at uh ac it was yeah uh dave matthews band in 1994 oh, i think something like that and uh, that was that was a really good concert series um, that happened out there for a couple of years. Yeah, brought that, some really good stuff through. Yeah, it's definitely tied to Sundown in that it was this big outdoor experience. Obviously, I think that Sundown was free, so it was different. Um, right. But definitely drove people into the downtown area, and I think we even called the Jack Johnson show, or maybe the Ben Harper show, the next year, Hot Summer Nights, just really? as a homage to yeah. that. So that was cool. Yeah, but you, so you didn't grow up here, though, right? You didn't grow up in Knoxville. No, I'm from Bristol okay. originally. Yeah, I moved here for basically because of AC Entertainment. Yeah. Okay, so went to grew up in Bristol. Did you play sports or were you a music kid? Uh, no, all music. Well, I mean, I played sports at one point, but yeah. not you know soccer and baseball, mainly baseball. But no, I, I fell in love with music when I was I don't I mean really at a young much younger age. Um, but like really got into it when I was you know like sixth grade or whatever, however yeah. old you are then 11 12 something like when that. you get the when you get the album or the CDs yeah or yeah you start getting start buying cds and watching mtv and yeah there was a cool sh- channel called the box at that point that okay. i loved um just wasn't very it was pretty short-lived i think <laughs> I um but yeah i fell in love with music and um and that kind of led me down the path of wanting to book bands and yeah you know all that kind of did stuff did you play I play drums. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I started to play uh, as I'm a. I love lots of types of music, but heavy metal and hard rock is you know kind of my core of, of my passion, and that genre has produced some of the most amazing drummers that yeah. I've ever 
walk the earth. And so, um, I don't know. I fell in love with that and started playing when I was probably 13 or something. I, gotcha. didn't, I didn't do a good job of keeping it up because <laughs> once I went to college, it was hard to have a kid. So did you go to college here? No, I went to Wofford college in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. Otherwise known as sparkle city. Spar- <laughs> I didn't know it was called sparkle city. I lived in Greenville for a couple of years. I had no idea. Sparkle city. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. It's, I like it. <laughs> yeah. It needs a little pizzazz over there. Yeah. I know, I know, I know Wofford. I knew some people who went to Wofford. How'd you like, uh, how'd you, is it, I guess it's the upstate still. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you I like it. that? I mean, uh, I spent a lot of time in Greenville. <laughs> yeah. I actually, you might, you may have been there. I worked at the handlebar for four years. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. The handlebar is badass. <laughs> yeah. I, my, my first internship before AC entertainment was at the handlebar. Really? Mm-hmm. What year was that? 2003. Okay. And I worked there until 2006. Gotcha. Well, actually, yeah, 2006, I guess it was. Stone Avenue. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Handlebar was great. I saw a couple good acts there. I saw um, Victor Wooten there. Nice. And I saw um, John Schofield there. Uh, just cool little room, man. Yeah. Victor and, Wooten was one of my first shows I ever saw. Really? Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> uh, Greenville doesn't have a lot of a lot of space, indoor space to see live music. No, and, and that was... Uh, I think why the handlebar was so special and important to the town is it, it didn't have as much music uh, venues as you would think because it was a pretty great town and a lot of college students and just a real beautiful area. It reminds me a lot of Knoxville in some ways. Yeah. Uh, um, and a lot of business travelers that come in there because there's so many international businesses there. I was always surprised that it didn't yeah. have more going on, but yeah. So Greenville's got like the, the auto manufacturing stuff, mm-hmm. BMW, they make BMW parts there they yeah. make uh, uh Michelin tires. Michelin, right. Yep, yep. And then there's Fleur, which is not a car manufacturer, but uh, I want to say it's an accounting firm or something like that. Got it. And that has a, a, a big impact as far as travelers are concerned too. So that bit of a, transient kind mm-hmm. of place you think a, a, a you know yeah people like to go and do stuff yeah you know? exactly when you're traveling you don't want to i mean you do end up sitting in the hotel room <laughs> so you wish you weren't so yeah <laughs> handlebars closed now it is closed yeah, yeah it was you know it's succumbed to i think the the growth of downtown greenville and um it was not in the best location for growth um it, it was challenged with access and yeah. parking and all sorts of, yeah. you know, things that are. Is that that weird five way, six way yeah. intersection? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe as things modernize and Uber didn't exist really at the time That's that true. it closed. And yeah. now it probably be a lot easier for yeah. it because they, they're, I think they had a lot of, I think they struggled with the city to, to manage sort of the, the parking and the traffic and uh, not to get too, too detailed on logistics, but <laughs> it, you know, it, uh, it was a bummer because it was such a great venue. Yeah. Greenville, South Carolina is a great place. It is. Yeah. I love it. Love. I need to go visit sometime. You did an internship at the Handlebar? Yeah, I, I was fortunate uh, in uh, my college at Wofford did, the way the, the semesters were set up, it was a 414 schedule, or some, I think it's also called a, a J term for a January term where you could um, do a, all sorts of different stuff. You could um, do a very traditional internship, like with a doctor or a lawyer. You mm-hmm. could um, take a class on campus that was sort of off the wall, like um, you know, like Olympic fencing or you know, Japanese cooking or you know, there was a the class about the Beatles or something, and it would weave. So you in. could get a credit in between mm-hmm. your semesters. Correct. Yeah, gotcha. it was a month long of education that was sort of non traditional. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and you picked the handlebar. Yeah, so you could also. Uh, submit independent projects. 
So you came up with this job yeah, for yourself. That's correct. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, you I, created a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had promoted a show when I was a senior in high school. So just before that, fell in love with it. And I was like, okay, well, I did this on my own. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to go learn from people who do know what they're doing. Yeah. And found out that the handlebar existed. You had to stay on campus your first year. You could not relocate somewhere else for yeah. the month. That was like the weird restriction probably like, well, saved I, your life <laughs> yeah so i was like well i can drive there every day you know it's only 45 minutes or whatever so which was tough sometimes when you're you know loading out merchandise at two in the morning for yeah. for uh you know some hippie band jam band that's played three hours the mala yeah. do you remember them no. the mala they were no. like a, ja a jam band from greenville I, yeah one of my I, one of my earliest memories was dark star orchestra it was one of my <laughs> best lessons in i've told this story i feel like so many times and in business that they, they, they wanted like, it's, it's funny. I was looking at this earlier. There's this, they wanted Sierra Nevada. It was the beer they wanted. Oh yeah. Right. It's, like, yeah. It's from where the grateful dead's from. Yeah, so and I'm like, you know, okay. Yeah. I want Sierra Nevada too. That's what I, that's what I like at this time. Like that's, that's cool. So I go, I go, I'm, I'm like doing the basically production assistant runner type job. So mm -hmm. I go get the, go try to go get the Sierra Nevada for them out of the fridge. And the owner's like, what are you doing? They, they get beer out of this category. They can get domestic Budweiser. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, but, but the Sierra Nevada is better, you know? Yeah. And, and they're like, no, it's, you know, it costs this much. It's $9 and the other one's $6. And I'm like, that's $3. Like, this can't be that big of a deal. But the biggest lesson for me was like, well, wait a minute. Hmm. You do 300 of these shows a year and you do that many six packs of beer every time. Sure. That $3 starts to make a lot of sense for, for a handlebar. Yeah. For a and small it, venue like that. Yeah. And then I'm like... Oh, and you just do that for a festival and it's all the same. It's just all relative, all the numbers. It's so exponential. It kind of, yeah, it's exponential. <laughs> so I was like, it was a really interesting lesson on uh, not not to go into no, career but lessons, but it was kind of an insightful thing early on of like, okay, there's something that I thought was really a stupid argument over $3. Um, from a business point, it, from a business it, point, it yeah. made sense after yeah. you think about it. So I don't want to go tell him I couldn't give him the Sierra Nevada. Well, that's my next question is, is did this set up an awkward situation yeah, yeah, where you course, had to go to yeah, the to go, fake Jerry yeah. and tell him that you yeah, I'm like, oh, well, I can get you some Budweiser, dude. <laughs> they might've just been like, forget it. He's like, do you not know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> There's some fun shows there. And then, so you said that moved you into, uh, to uh, AC, or was it that experience that kind of after you graduated from Wofford got you kind of in the door? Yeah, I did that, and then uh, from having promoted my show in, in high school and and having done the um, handlebar, I got got the opportunity entered at AC. I kept making up internships for myself. That's um, great, though. Yeah, yeah, different parts of the music business. So the first one was to work at a venue. Yeah. Second one was to work at a promoter, which yeah. is. When you're a small venue, you're kind of one and the same. But but as you get bigger, you're just a venue or you're just a promoter. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll go work for promoter. They do festivals and stuff. It'll be different. And then um, my third one was working at a, an agency, a small music agency called Blue Mountain Artists in Charlotte. Okay. Um, so you so you moved to Tennessee. And then went to Charlotte? No, no. So I did all this when I was in college. Oh, I, gotcha. I did four four different internships uh, from uh, over the four years there. I, I I just moved here temporarily to work at AC, like it just gotcha. just for a, like a temporary housing or yeah. whatever. Um, and then my last one, <laughs> this was wild. Um, I kind of sent a hail mary to Metallica. I was yeah. a huge. Uh, Metallica fan since I was very young. They're still my favorite band. And I was uh, had been in the fan club for the band for 
I don't know, maybe seven years at that point or You're so. You're a dues-paying member. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> up, that's right. I, I was card-carrying. used to have in my wallet with me at all times. Just in case Just anybody in, wanted to yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and sent them, you know, like, in, I don't even know how I, what I did. I don't remember. So I'm sure just an email to the info at, you know, metclub.com. Yeah, cold and, call. Yeah, and told them, you know, I'd done all these internships and I could get school credit and I was in the fan club and I'll work for free and pay my way out there and this, that, and the other. I didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Moved forward with a, with another internship, had it approved, locked and loaded. And then I get an email saying, we'd like to talk to you. Can you do a call? And ended up getting an internship with Metallica, which is pretty cool. So <laughs> after you were already committed to <laughs> yeah, another one? Yeah, I had to unwind that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I had to go hope and pray that the school would approve it, you know? Oh, cause, yeah. Because I was like, I can't imagine. It's like, if I, if they don't approve me for this, I guess I'm just going to have to not graduate. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> college in Metallica, yeah, there's I'm no like, choice I'm here. like, I'm not going to be here in January. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be working for Metallica. Well, what was that like? Was that touring? Hmm. <laughs> So they, um, they have a studio and, um, they're sort of, um, merchandise operations. And at the time the fan club operation is in San Rafael, California, yeah, which is, uh, North, north of San Francisco, yeah, north of San Francisco and Marin County. And, um, uh, weirdly there's actually a story connecting back to Knoxville here who will give you someone that you need to interview, maybe. Okay, Um, down. uh, They, uh, yeah, so they had this just uh, like really nondescript warehouse property out there where they they call it HQ. um, And that's what what, what HQ houses. And uh, so I was there interning for the fan club, um, fulfilling merchandise orders. Oh, cool. Renewing memberships. Back-end type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, At the time, there was a big release. They used to do this thing called the Fan Can, which they would do every, I don't know, five years or so. That It was a paint can that had a really cool design on it. It would have like a CD and a T-shirt and a oh, cool. DVD or formerly, swag yeah, formerly VHS tape of some like very special show that oh, you could, cool. only fan club members could buy. But it was like a really uh, – it was a collector's item. So th- that was coming out, and we were fulfilling those orders while I was there. So it was cool to see that whole process because it was very kind of – homegrown but uh yeah that's what i I did that got got this a little bit of sense of the band merchandising and uh fan club kind of thing and after all those realized that promoting concerts was kind of my that was definitely my draw yeah that's cool to get a diversified a little bit of real world diversified experience in college man get out of here that's great i I mean you kind of engineered it for yourself and created it but i mean that's that's what it should be you should you should learn your algebra and your english and how (laughs) to write a letter and write paper and papers and all that but but to really get some real world experiences that's what that's how people can take advantage of of college yeah i feel free labor yeah exactly go be free labor and yeah it's yeah it's important to do all the normal coursework and i think that my degrees um both my major and minor help supported it you know still to this day support it but if i had not done the uh majored in philosophy (laughs) okay but you know which um sounds unrelated but it kind of is related because it's it gets you a lot of really fundamental skills and perspective yeah well that and it helped me a lot with just like um especially when it comes to like legal matters and stuff there's a lot of a lot of uh, connection there Um, sure that's been a big part of my job and like risk management stuff but um 
but yeah, and then I mattered in business, so that you know, obviously that helped. But uh, also a universally helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minor. But I can't imagine having come out of college not having done those four things and where I would where I would not be right now. Those which is not sitting here talking to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I wouldn't. Um, so yeah, I've always encouraged everyone to go, you know, intern as much as they can and you know, do it for free, even if it's for a little while, you know, yeah. it's hard to do that for long. Uh, it's, you know, you have to support yourself, but if you can get in for a month somewhere, you can learn a whole lot in four weeks. You sure can. You can learn a lot more in four weeks doing it than you can yeah. reading about it for four right. years. You know, it's, it's important to, to do that, to do that work for free thing. And if you're good, people will notice it, mm-hmm. you know? How, so after college and all that, what was your first, what was, what was your first foray into the business? It sounds <laughs> like you were pretty, you had decided that's yeah, what you were going to yeah. do. I had, I had continued to work with AC entertainment and Bonnaroo throughout the summers, uh, in, in between, uh, you know, the, the spring and fall semesters. So I, I was angling really hard to get a full-time job there. And I was fortunate that I, that I did get that. Well, you, you'd had FaceTime with him for years now, right? You, yeah. You, you knew, you knew yeah. everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Bonnaroo was continuing to, this was 2006 at that point, And Bonnaroo was definitely in its, Yeah. Heyday and selling a ton of tickets and all that kind of stuff. So the opportunity there was there to come in and help, um, mainly on the operational side of things with, with the outdoor events and, and some of the internal operations. So that's what got me in the door. And, you know, I was really wanting to book shows and promote shows, but, uh, there wasn't a need for that quite yet. So I figured well, they just that, had one, one, uh, yeah, deal, there wasn't right? much, yeah, well, that's the thing that we didn't, we didn't have a lot of venues at that time that we booked exclusively. There was just Bonnaroo. Uh, there was, was the only thing Bonnaroo. that needed help. Yeah. So it was kind of like, well, what are you going to do? Um, but as we, you know, by that point we had, we were booking the orange peel in Asheville okay. too. Yeah. So, which, which is one of my favorite rooms. Yeah. It's one of the greatest rooms in the country. Yeah. Um, so it was the Tennessee Theater and the Bijou and other venues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but but the Orange Peel, as far as clubs are concerned, uh, you know, a little different environment there. It's definitely uh, a lot of bands will say that you know it's one of their favorite places to stop, sure. and they love to go to Asheville and everything. But yeah, we were booking. We were booking. Uh, it was interesting. We were booking the Orange Peel at the time. I think the Peel opened in like two thousand three or four. Maybe we were booking the Peel when I first interned. I don't think we were though. But my anyway. first show at the Orange Peel was in two thousand. Three. Okay, so we were book- two thousand three. Yeah, yeah. So we were booking the Orange Peel when I first interned. It just I wasn't thinking about it because it wasn't in Knoxville, but um, it was being booked like Bonnaroo. Honestly, yeah. like it was. It was kind of like right. let's just you know book a bunch of jam bands. Let's use the and same Americana, <laughs> and you know which was good, and it was very appropriate for Asheville at the time, especially. Um, but when I started, I was like, well, you know. I, none of these venues in the region are booking hard rock and heavy metal bands. And I know that the, this audience base is there and slowly, but surely got the opportunity within the first year. I think I booked my first show. I'm like fall of 2007. What does that mean? You booked your own show. You, you so, had to deal with, you had to make the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you know, approach the, uh, seek out the artist agent and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I represent uh, this venue, or you know, I'm, I want, uh, you know, I can rent this venue yeah, or whatever. You're booking on behalf of that. Yeah, venue. I'm booking on behalf of this venue or my or, or my own company, and I want to book your artist. You know, here, um, do you have any availability and interest? And then they say, you know, well, that conversation goes lots of different ways, which is who yeah. are you, or sure. <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, 
you know, it was really meaningful that we had Bonnaroo, honestly. Like it that totally, was a, yeah, that was a big, uh, change the game feather in your cap. Yeah. We were this small independent promoter in Knoxville, Tennessee that booked this really big, powerful, meaningful, internationally kind of, recognized, yeah, culturally significant event. And so yeah. it's like, everyone's like, Perks oh, up. okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll talk to this guy. Credibility. Yeah. So it started, um, what was your first one? I think your my first show? first show, it was either Clutch or The Sword. And those are and those heavy are, metal those rock are bands? Hard rock, hard not, rock. Yeah, hard rock, not quite heavy metal bands. Metal adjacent? More, yeah, more <laughs> uh, like, I don't think it's, I think it's hard to categorize either one of them, especially Clutch, but more stoner rock if you're going to try to do that. Yeah. Um, they were both at Blue Cats, which was the old club here awesome. in Knoxville. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just like there was this audience ready and waiting for someone to sometimes if you build it they will come well, they needed some representation yeah, on the exa- inside exactly you so I'm, I'm proud to that's probably one of my i feel like my biggest uh, accomplishments proudest moments is bringing you know metal and hard rock to the masses throughout the southeast whether it's in clubs or um or at bonnaroo because we did it a lot at bonnaroo as well yeah that i've noticed that started to creep in a little bit <laughs> yeah some great shows too yeah and then we try to keep it you know, uh, with bands that made sense within the greater sort of Bonnaroo. Ethos. Yeah. And, and w- fortunately for me, one of the Bonnaroo partners, uh, his name's Kerry Black's a big heavy metal fan. So he was always there fighting the good fight yeah. with me to try to sneak in a couple of things every year. Yeah. That was fun. So how does that go? Uh, it makes me think when, when you say that, when you say that AC wasn't really booking kind of the hard rock crowd, mm-hmm. uh, that all, to me, it sounded like all they needed was an advocate, somebody mm-hmm. to yeah. kind of want to promote in that direction. So when you first got there, was were people advocating in the jam band direction? Yes. Because when I talk to Ashley Caps and I meet the dude, and, talk, and and I just don't pick up the, <laughs> I just don't pick up the hippy dippy spin and hula hoop and yeah. you know all that vibe. Like, how did that? What was the room like when you got to AC? As far as promoters were well, concerned. Well, I, I think, you know, he was leading the company even by the time I started because he started promoting shows in the 80s. So by the time I started in mid-2000s, early mid-2000s, he was not really himself uh, buying a lot of shows. He was more visionary. You know, he was heavily booking Bonnaroo. I should put an asterisk there. More um, special, like if we had Tom Waits or or uh, Neil, Neil Young or something, he was all, you know, he was fully responsible for that. Not to discredit him, he was leading a company. Yeah. Um, um, but there was a buyer there who, who was very much into the jam stuff. Gotcha. It was very popular at that time. Yeah, um, Fish was kind of down. Yeah, Fish was down at the moment, but had been huge. You know, yeah. Dave and Matthews so, Band was still big. Yeah. Displaced and, hippies. Yeah, and you know, like and Ashley and and Ted Heineck, who's now the president of AC, had booked a lot of those bands. Uh, you know, in the nineties and two thousands here in Knoxville, and so it was just part of their, you know, their histories, the hot summer nights and stuff. You know, doing Horde Festival with Blues Traveler and mm. like the Dave Matthews Band show you were talking about. So it was a big part of what they did. And then the, the the partner that AC Entertainment had with Bonnaroo was named Superfly. Yeah. Those guys were all down New in Orleans, New Orleans. Right? And they had all these you know connections to a lot of 
um, you know, soul and funk and New Orleans mm-hmm. things that are kind of jam adjacent and yeah. whatnot. So you That's blend where all Galactic that. came from and yeah, yeah bringing exactly. up all the trombone shorty and all that kind of Bingo. stuff. Bingo. Yeah. And, you know, actually, obviously in this area of the country, you've got a lot of bluegrass and Americana type music. So that, that becomes kind of works its way into the jam thing. So you kind of put all that in a blender and you get Bonnaroo. Yeah. And so that was a lot of what we booked, you know, just right. kind of by default. And, and, and there was some advocacy for it, but yeah, I mean, there only, so many you can only hold so many relationships with so many agents and managers as an individual and you can only have your fingers on so many pulses right Right. so i feel like uh you know in in my time there at ac both you know booking concerts as ac entertainment and as booking bonnaroo which we did by a committee i think it was super successful because you had a group of people that all had a different perspective right and really understood their area right and worked really hard to develop those relationships with those artists. And so it made for a really amazing final product. I feel you. So you, when you say by committee, it's a bunch of different buyers mm-hmm. that all have kind of a different niche that they work inside of. Yep. That makes sense because you look at the Bonnaroo card of 80 or 100 bands and the lineup and it's like one per. this couldn't be one person's. Yeah style this you know there's no one person in america who enjoys all this stuff it's interesting because some festivals do it the way that we did it and other ones have a single person that books the whole thing and i think it's i don't know i'm I'm, it can be grueling uh by committee you know the debating and the it can move really slow at times because you can't just make a decision uh, unilaterally um but uh i think it that's sort of that sort of pull on it kind of made it what it was in the, in the end and made it really amazing. <clears throat> well, you know, I've been to a handful of festivals, but I've been to a bunch of Bonnaroo's and real special place in my heart for, <laughs> for that place. And, and, you know, I, to, to what you said about a bunch of different people having their kind of musical taste reflected on that lineup. Um, I've seen so many shows and been turned on to so many different types of music because I was walking by a tent late mm-hmm. night and ended up stopping that I never would have never would have known that I had liked, you know. And and so I think that in a lot of ways, it's doing a bit of a service to the art mm-hmm. in, in exposing people, you know, to new kinds of music that they were closed off to in the past. For sure. No, I think that was... And there's some responsibility that goes yeah, along Yeah, and that's that. why, I th- again, another... I think that just furthers my point that in having different people with different perspectives and passions sort of have an influence on the lineup, you, it allows you to have that kind of experience where I remember I had that in one of those experiences myself, that's very vivid was uh, Femi Kuti was playing a tent and I didn't know anything about Femi Kuti. Um, and just got completely like physically, I felt like I was getting sucked in, you know, to the tent cause it was just so amazing and ended up, you know, getting into that, you know, artist thereafter. And, um, I've never probably would have listened to Femi Kuti unless Femi Kuti was playing Bonnaroo. Right. And then was, is his dad Fela? Mm-hmm. He's badass too. Yeah. That's sick. It's, and and then, as like, a drummer, it was really sick for me cause the rhythms are just, they're nasty. Yeah, they are. They're like 13, seven time signature or something <laughs> like that. It certainly sounds that way. Yeah, it does. And uh, <laughs> what is it? Like the whole Antibalis mm-hmm. kind of movement yeah, too? Yeah. yeah. All that is, was it Afropunk? Is that the kind of deal they did? Um, that, that style of music, again, like something 
you'd never even know existed. Yeah. And it makes you dance just like the bluegrass or the, <laughs> yeah. you know, anything else does. Yeah. It was, it was cool having the mix. What's the, uh, I've always wondered about the nuts and bolts of the relationship between AC and Superfly. Um, but my, my, what I think I, my anecdotal, you know, conclusion that I came to was that, you know, AC was a lot more a part of the programming and the marketing and Superfly had a little bit more of a hand in the production side. Is that, that's me. Like, that's what I grabbed as a fan, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and I, that that's as far as it goes. What was that relationship like? It was weirdly pretty split up, even within the same department. Like we co-booked it. Okay. We co-marketed it. Mm. Um, we co-produced it, meaning uh, I oversaw, you know, for instance, a number of operational areas, but I was not the overall operations manager. Somebody else at Superfly was. So we had these sort of shared um, operational responsibilities. They did actually handle the technical production. So stage, sound, lights, video, those kinds of things. They yeah. did that. Um, all the on-site creative, like how things kind of looked and felt. Yeah. That was Superfly. Okay. You know, the cuckoo clock and the barn. Yeah. And the bobbleheads when those existed. and The eye candy. Yeah, all the neon signs and stuff. That was all, you know, the, the experiential sort of, sp- of part of it was was them. Um, I'm sure there's a hundred other areas I'm not thinking of. But sure. it's it was, you know, it was very, uh, well, who did what? Because it grew very organically when both companies were really small, you look back and you're like, "Why in the world was that person doing those things? Like that doesn't make any sense." But that's what happens when things kind of grow that way. And I look back at what I was doing, and I was like, "Why? Why was I managing catering?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, like well, it's pretty amazing, and it always it it always had that vibe of like <clears throat> we we know what we're doing and everything's good but we're still kind of flying by the seat of our pants here together a little bit, you know, and then it's going to take you guys in the crowd behaving yourselves in yeah. order to keep this thing yeah. on the rails because how big of Superfly? You said you guys were, uh, you know, growing from yeah, 10 people to, you I mean, know. we got to 50 or 60. They were probably similar, yeah. I would say. I don't really know. I mean, that's a lot for a couple small companies to undertake. Oh, yeah, like. Bonnaroo is, I mean... There was so much that was outsourced. I mean, just so much. Yeah, I realized that one day when I met a dude from, um, I think he was from Philadelphia, and he had his, you know, his parking shirt on or whatever. He'd been parking Mm -hmm. cars all day. And uh, he was like, do you know this band? I was like, yeah, man, I've been waiting to see them for six months. I've had it, you know, (laughs) written down on this list. He's like, yeah, somebody called me yesterday and asked if I wanted to come down from Philly and help him park cars. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds a little bit like that's what happens when you're doing giant events. Yeah. You know, you panic at the last minute. You got to. Although that's not really the way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't advise that strategy. It might might have been a little bigger than they expected. Maybe, maybe maybe they sold some on-site tickets they weren't expecting. The uh, ownership has changed, right? With Mm -hmm. that festival and like with AC in general too, hasn't it? Because it, you always, when Bonnaroo first started, people always, you know, it felt like this hippie free love kind of deal, like Woodstock junior going on. And then, you know, you kind of felt the commercialized, you know, you heard the rumblings around the parking lot that Clear Channel bought Bonnaroo. And now it's, you know, it's a, yeah. it's, it's a commercial mess. bought Bonnaroo. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's like, all right, whatever. But at, at some point, like that whole 
like journey didn't really happen, but I mean, it did creep into a little bit more of a commercialized space instead of being a very kind of grassroots homegrown, you know, effort. Mm -hmm. And that happened gradually, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the actual change in ownership started, I believe in 2015 when live nation, uh, purchased a portion I don't know the exact details of it. Uh, I don't recall. Uh, or, you know, bought a bought a piece of Bonnaroo, um, and but that wasn't until 2015. I mean, the festival festival had, was 12 years, 13 years yeah, old at that so, point. You know, anything before that was still all 100% AC entertainment and super and super fly. fly. Yeah. So anything that people felt was different was still from the same people. Yeah. Um. But after that, yeah, it started to evolve, you know, with Live Nation's investment in the event. And they have a little bit of a say in what goes yeah, on. Yeah, you know, start, things start to change. I, you know, I, I don't know. I was gone by that point, so I can't speak to it. Right. Um, but they, uh, you know, also made an investment in AC Entertainment separately from Bonnaroo because Bonnaroo's ownership was different. So Live Nation bought part of the festival and they bought part of AC Entertainment. Correct. Gotcha. And, then, and then eventually. Getting more seats at the board table at Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually options were taken for them to to buy 100% of both Bonnaroo and AC Entertainment. And they did that? So they own all of it now. And then as part of that, Superfly exited Bonnaroo mm. as of, I believe, last year. Um, so this year uh, would have been, I, I think, uh, although I'm not 100% sure on this because I'm not, I'm not on the inside, but I'm pretty sure this would have been the first C3 AC, which is another Live Nation company who does C3. C3 does um, Lollapalooza mm. and Austin City Limits. They do the booking for it? They do. They produce the whole kit and caboodle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're a, uh, not unlike an AC Entertainment, they were an independent promoter who was acquired by Live Nation. Okay. They really focus on the uh, the big outdoor festival properties for Live Nation. Mm -hmm. They uh, sort of were tasked with um, taking over basically Superfly's role, for lack of a better word, yeah. in terms of the operational and production elements of sure. the event. And then AC continued to do a lot of what they do. So it was going to be a different Bonnaroo from a from an industry standpoint, if you will, I don't know that the customer would have really seen the difference. Right. Um, it's kind of established a little bit and yeah, like incremental change over the year. Yeah. I think there would have been, you know, there, you know, definitely uh, fresh eyes would have been, you know, really mm. interesting because we were doing the same thing the same way for, you know, not, not totally the same way. I don't want to, you know, exaggerate it, but uh, you know, it's the same people doing it for so long. So it's like having some new eyes on it would have been, would have been interesting. Well, I, I don't want to say stagnant at all, but the but the tents have been in the same place. Yeah, the stages exactly. have been in the same place. The camping, the campgrounds have all been in the same place, which is, I mean, that's kind of what they bought though, yeah. when they when they bought when they bought you know yeah. rights to the festival was you know a sta uh, something that's established. You don't want to buy it and then just blow it up, right? But yeah. some little changes here and there wouldn't have been bad. No, I think there were things needed freshening up. I mean, look, there's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it can be better, make it better. Sure. So I think it was trying to find the balance. And, yeah, just and, a, uh, a fresh set of eyes who can tinker. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes you can't direction. see the forest for the trees, you know, so it's kind of like, okay, well, some, you know, there could, you know, it'll be interesting to see once things rebound, uh, what they're able to do. Yeah. So, you know, Oslo? I do know Oslo. Oslo was in here way back. The last time it was cold in here. <laughs> Um, and he he mentioned the name Corn Capshaw to me, and mm -hmm. said that 
Corn Capshaw had maybe maybe acquired part of AC Entertainment or was going to, or I, I forget mm-hmm. what he said, but he's the first guy that had introduced me, and I started looking at that guy's work. And um, how is he affiliated with AC? Yeah, I mean, in in, in different ways. Corn was uh, an uh, was an investor in Bonnaroo from day one. Okay, um, so that's kind of the beginning of the relationship. Corn is that how a- Dave Matthews got some pretty good. Yeah, uh, was, like yeah. guest spots and all that. Well, yeah, I mean, going, yeah, exactly. Going back further than that, Corin was um, Dave Matthews' band manager and then built a whole management company around that called Red Light Management. Had one really good, <laughs> one really good client and, yeah, and, and, and now has it's lots It's a credibility of, thing, yeah, you know? You, yeah, 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 for sure. Had now has lots of really, you know, uh, big clients. He's one of the most powerful people in the music business. Um, but yeah, he had an investment in, in, um, and Bonnaroo from day one, and that extended into uh, AC Entertainment. And, um, you know, Korn's a, a big part of the music business. And, uh, yeah, he definitely – I mean, he's a very much um, kind of behind-the-scenes guy. Yeah, you, it's hard to it's hard to see his whole body of work written on one page. But it you doesn't go, exist. You, you dig around, and it's like, dude's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I doubt Ashley Caps is the same way. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting the difference in uh, personalities that are out there. I feel like you have the people like Ashley and and Corn, even more so than Ashley, that are pretty reserved and don't do a whole lot of front and center type type stuff. Ashley does it more than Corn does. You know, never does interviews, hardly doesn't speak on panels at conferences yeah, yeah. and interviews in magazines and stuff like that. And then you have these other people that are the total opposite of that, that are in the same position, either as promoters or, you know, whatever. And it's, it's fascinating, the difference in personalities, but Corn's definitely a behind the scenes guy for sure. Takes all kinds. Yeah. So, uh, what happened when you left AC? I, um, 13, you said, or it was 15, 15. 2015. Yeah, I was. I had been recruited by a company called Danny Wimmer Presents in Los Angeles. They um, kind of on a, a really interesting company, uh, kind of an under the radar in a lot of ways. Uh, produced a number of large scale outdoor rock, hard rock festivals. Uh, the biggest Sweet. one was called Rock on the Range. Where is that? It was uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, and. Um, it uh, yeah, it did forty thousand people a day sold out three days in a row. Like it was big, and those those shows that started in two thousand seven, I think it was, right in the heart of the recession. Also coming back to that topic, <laughs> but somehow spawned out of that successfully, um, which was really f- interesting success story because it was definitely a blue collar audience and um, found a way to do a lot of bands for an affordable ticket price and really create value for the fan. Do you get people traveling? Yeah, for sure. Increasingly in, in our time there from Pennsylvania and Michigan. <laughs> and, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Columbus gets a lot of like uh rust belt, you know? Yeah. But that was the, that was the kind of the, that was the first event that DWP ever did. Danny Wimmer presents DWP for short. Um, and it grew from there. Um, so by the time I started that event was, Eight years old. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think my math's right with 2007. Maybe it was a little later. So, um, anyway, um, company was growing really rapidly. Um, it was really smaller than AC when I started. It was like, gosh, I feel like it was six people with plus maybe a couple that just gotten hired. You know, they were, they had just started, they had just started really hiring people. Um, Did they move you out to LA? Yeah. Yeah. We moved out to Los Angeles. Um, 
And it was crazy, man. Like we did, uh, we did events in back-to-back order. We would do like a spring series and a fall series on back-to-back weekends in different parts of the country. I was used mm. to doing festivals and just coming in and sitting down for three weeks and going home for a while. I mean, I would do other concerts and obviously other work, but yeah. we wouldn't do festivals back-to-back. I had friends that were, thought I was crazy for really? taking this job. Cause they knew what, what it's like to go set, you know, go do a festival for two and a half weeks and just, it's grueling. Is that how long it takes to do, to do a festival? Yeah, it's usually like, it depends on the scale of the event and yeah. how, how complex it is. But you know, Bonnaroo, the, the load in for Bonnaroo is a solid month, I would say, yeah. you know, at least maybe, maybe even five weeks. Um, but yeah, a normal festival for me was, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks, something like that in totality from beginning to end. And you guys had two back to back in the spring and two we would back do to back in the fall. Four and four by the by the oh, time sure. I was gone. Yeah. So it was it was uh What so where were the Rock on the Range? Yeah, and, Rock on the Range and then uh they ended up changing names to Sonic Temple, but same 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 venue. Um we did an event in Jacksonville, Florida called Welcome to Rockville. Where uh, where uh, venue was that at? It was uh, you, it was in a park called Metropolitan okay. Park that was directly across the street from the Jaguars football stadium. We it's actually like a forecastle type deal. He's very very similar. It's along the water and under an overpass, just like forecastle <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky. Did you know it's pronounced Foxel? I did. Yes. You didn't know that. I, did, I had yeah. a, a guy that was yeah. from the Navy be like, "That's how you pronounce yeah. that, yeah, uh, not the, forecastle." Yeah, it, it is. But no, I thought it was Forksel. Is it Forksel? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe not. <laughs> but it's not Forecastle. It's not for, it is 100% not Forecastle. So that um, one's in Florida? Yeah, so it was Florida. We had one and um, we had an event in Chicago, Sacramento, Philadelphia. Um, Sounds like the ringer, one. man. Yeah, it was. They were all over. Louisville, Kentucky, we had th- two festivals. Um so, so they only had one when you got to is it DWP. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got there, they had one festival. Mm. It was more Maybe. than that, but they were, but we were, um, not unlike Bonnaroo. We had a partner on them. Mm. So the load wasn't totally on, on our gotcha. shoulders, but as time progressed, uh, we started to move away from partnered, uh, productions to ones that we produced ourselves. Mm. So we were building up our own in-house team gotcha. and then doing them all back to back instead of having yeah. like, Hey, I do this weekend, you do next weekend yeah. and then I'll do the weekend after that will leapfrog. Yeah. Cause that works. That's an alpha and a beta unit. Yeah. yeah, an yeah. A to B unit. Yeah. That's <laughs> how like stadium tours yeah. do it too. They send one crew to one city and they build, you know, like if you twos out there, a Metallica and, yeah. and a, and a they know, leapfrog like a, the production. Yeah. They have two productions out usually. Yeah. Um, if, you know, if they're doing dates back to back, cause you can't load it out fast enough. Right. To get to the, to get to the next city. Spot. Cause yeah. it takes too long to build it and strike it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Just burn the candle at both ends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we didn't do that. So, um, yeah, it didn't. Uh, I, I, I made it through four years. <laughs> yeah. Is that how long you were in LA? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you guys grew, you said in similar to, to AC. So you guys had 50 or 60. Well, we, we didn't grow in terms of, st- we still. Because- <laughs> Just in terms of work, not in terms of human resources. <laughs> I, I would say that the resources were definitely uh, strapped compared to the, the scope of the events we were producing. Right. Yes. Uh, that was definitely a challenge for us. And, and definitely for me. Um, but no, because we, unlike AC entertainment, cause at AC, we, we, produced festivals we would promote concerts at random venues across the southeast we would book venues exclusively just as talent buyers right and we would just we would we were responsible for programming their calendar so like the orange peel 
we booked every show that went in that venue that was a national artist, but we didn't have to go work it. Exactly. So we had, had different production staff. Yeah, we had different types of um, sort of business divisions and and sort of diversified, you know, sort of yeah. areas. It's, it's horizontal integration rather than vertical. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. at DWP, that was not the case. We did it all. We did festivals. Period. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't book concerts. We didn't manage venues like the mm. Tennessee Theater and the Bijou. We didn't do any of that stuff. Gotcha. So. My point being is that we kept kind of a tight in-house staff and then we just outsourced a lot to augment it. And, you know, that still doesn't give you, it doesn't get you in a groove. So. Yeah. Where'd you live uh, when you were in LA? <laughs> we lived in Venice, which was, nice. I'm lucky to say we lived there. Uh, very lucky to have been there. But It's uh, vibrant. It's it's awake. It's yeah. alive, you know. There's it a feels, lot going on. Yeah. Always got the windows open. The air is crisp and you know, even though we were probably a mile and a half in from the beach, still get that breeze. Still miss that. Yeah. Um, on the other side, is it, uh, it's not Lincoln, is it? Mm-hmm. Over on the. We lived off Lincoln Boulevard. Oh, did you? Lincoln and Rose. Yeah. Great. Near the Whole Foods? Is that where the Whole Foods? <laughs> Whole Foods is where I shopped every day. It yeah. had the best, at least it had the best tacos uh, guy uh, and gal that parked in front of that Whole Foods. I, definitely, on truck. The, definitely on the west side. Yeah, it was hardly even a truck. They they pulled up in a pickup truck, and they would just offload a bunch of equipment into the street. Um, they didn't have like an actual. <laughs> I love California. Truck. Yeah, <laughs> it was just pots and pans and like this. They did the al pastor tacos, so yeah. they would have this you know huge hunk of pork and and pineapple that they had. This guy, this guy had this like a flamethrower on it. It was. <laughs> You just yeah, you just don't uh, you don't get that in Knoxville, really. Yeah, you don't. Somebody's asking for a permit pretty <laughs> yeah. quick. Yeah, when they first started doing it, there there was actually two two groups that did the the pickup truck style, and I was like, what is this? Like, I hadn't even seen that yet after being in there for a couple of years. I'm like, man, these guys are really just rolling in a pickup truck. Um, but it was cool, man. Yeah, that that's 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 my area. Did you go to the beach a lot? It's nice to live that not close as, to the beach, isn't it? You know, it? You, 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 it's, it's not fair. Like, you don't – you it's there, and so you don't do it as much, I feel like, as you should. Yeah. Like, that's, that's still how I feel about it. But, no, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it was, you know, go to the beach. Um, so many, like, little restaurants, mom-and-pop things, stores to go into, and it's just uh, so much to do. Southern California gets a bad rap, L.A. in particular, <laughs> but the west side of L.A. is nice. It's a great place to be. It's super chill. I think, you know, it took me a few times to go in Los Angeles to really understand it because it is, we were talking about this the other day, it's such a, um, such a large sprawling place and it, and every little, every few blocks it starts to evolve and, um, it takes a minute to get it, but I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I definitely think it has a bad rap. I had a hell of a time trying to get friends and family to visit. And uh, I think once they get there, they're like, oh, okay, this is, I get it. This is awesome. It's in a lot of ways, like what you're talking about, I think is being able to go from, you know, Koreatown to, Mm -hmm. you know, Beverly Hills (laughs) to Hollywood and Highland in 10 minutes. You know, there's, it's all these little neighborhoods and these little pockets. You can, you can do what you can do in New York city and immerse yourself in all these different cultures and all that. They might be a little farther apart, but it's a little more chilled out while <laughs> yeah. you're doing it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, compared to, I mean, I think the only thing you can't really compare it to is probably New York, maybe not even Chicago. And yeah, the intensity level is so much lower, you mm-hmm. know, just in terms of your engagement with people and just how they talk to you and stuff. It's, um, 
it's really definitely a different vibe in California than <laughs> than in New York. Did you live in Venice the whole time you were working? Yeah, we lived there? in the same apartment all four years. No man. way. Yeah, like we didn't. It was uh, we lived in this uh, amazing old uh, like uh, what is it? It's on like the National Registry. Uh, it's a garden apartment complex. It cool. was old uh, post World War Two military housing, I believe. Um, it's kind of close. It's pretty close to LAX. Um, yeah. Gorgeous mid-century buildings. Um, thank God they were protected and a company reno- basically renovated and brought them back to life. Um, it was super tiny as anything is in Los Angeles, but uh, it was gorgeous. And I don't know, it was just a really, it felt like you were, it felt like I was living in, you know, old mid-century Southern California. And I really dug that. So I That's never- That's the vibe I, I'm going for here yeah, at my house. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I never wanted to leave it, you know? Yeah. Well, what, what happened there? Why'd you decide to leave? Um, I don't and know. when did you make your exit? We, uh, left, uh, June, late June of 2019. Oh, it was kind of time. Yeah. So it was just, it was kind of time. Like the, the direction the company was going was not kind of where I wanted to head and just difference of philosophy on yeah. things. And, um, which was a bummer because I, I really I love I love uh, Danny Wimmer, the owner and founder, a lot, and his wife Kathy, and they're just amazing, and you know a lot of great people work there. But and I love the music too. You know that was hard yeah. as well because it's it's definitely my passion. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It was also just kind of take a break for a minute, like like you were saying, burning the can on both ends. Like been been going nonstop, you know, even throughout college. I was. Like I was saying, I'd, I would go to school and then go work at the handlebar until two in the morning, you yeah. know, whatever, selling merchandise or, yeah. um, and, you know, do, doing box office or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to take a break and kind of catch my breath. And we spend some time in like, we were in, living in Los Angeles, like, let's just enjoy this for a second and see what happens. And my wife, uh, started, uh, freelancing, which was nothing we'd ever done before. We'd always been full time, you know, at least po- past college and same same business she was uh yeah she was um has always worked in the live music side of things um and she ended up getting some opportunity funny enough with superfly who um (laughs) had kind of yeah it's all connected uh um had sort of evolved their business over over the years into being more of an agency than Mm. um you know, marketing and brand brand agency than they were really an event producer. Um, so they were they were creating and producing events on behalf of other brands. So they were doing something called BravoCon uh, with uh, with Bravo TV networks. Mm-hmm. They did BeautyCon with a beauty and wellness uh, company brand. They did Revolt Summit, which was with Sean Combs, P Diddy had a, a yeah. hip hop conference. So, so they were mercenaries to kind of carry out these yeah, productions. Yeah, so they were they were producing these events on behalf of these you know brands, really big brands. In the case turnkey of, for yeah, the big brand, yeah, right? In case of Bravo, which was the first first time they ever did a uh, Bravo Con. So Brandy got these opportunities working and you doing her normal work, which is um, a lot of it's in ticketing and box office and checking people in and those kinds of things and dealing with guests Logistic and, and talent and checking in talent and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Credentialing. Um, credentialing, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, nice to be able to work on some other types of events, um, applying your skills, but into some different different areas. So um, 
I was like kind of inspired by, I was like, well, you know, there's other things I'd like to do beyond. I mean, I love music. I'll, I'll do it forever, but there are other things that I like. Food and beverage was, was one of the big driving factors for me. And then just other types of live events, whether it was conventions or, you know, whatever food festivals, whatever. Yeah. Um, the production and the logistics stuff is kind yeah. of the same with that. Yeah. It's with those kinds of things. Fundamentally pretty darn similar. Yeah. Um, you're, you're setting up your tent in the, in the <laughs> middle of a place yeah. that isn't supposed to have a tent exactly. up there and you're coming, you're bringing the circus in and then you're tearing yeah. it down. Build and a going venue away. where it doesn't exist or, you know, yeah. sometimes we would, we would say we'd make the impossible possible because we'd have meetings with, you know, local officials or, you know, fire departments or whatever. No, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do that. That Watch was always me. a thing. And you're just like, we're going to do this. <laughs> I've done it before. <laughs> I'll we're do gonna, it again. Yeah. We're, 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 we'll get you there. Yeah. We'll get you there. That so was, Brandy's freelancing then? Yeah, then? she, yeah, she, yeah, she was, so she was freelancing. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and, uh, mostly just enjoying being in Los Angeles. Hell yeah. Uh, and fortunate enough to have, been able to do that for a minute without a job, which yeah. was, you know, borderline insane. And, and, yeah, and nobody, in nobody Angeles. has that. No. Nobody has that luxury in LA. But Everybody's made, working as hard yeah, as they can. I, made, well, I, I had, had worked all day, every day for four years straight. So yeah. I figured I, you mm, deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, but I was, I was, you know, very seriously pursuing different full-time jobs and whatnot. And I don't know, I was just inspired by what, what I saw with her and, um, always had in the back of my head, like, oh, you know, at some point I'd like to give it a shot starting my own company. A couple of people that I really trusted had advised me to do that for years, sure. you know, going back five years probably. And I was like, well, it seems like now is as good as a time of any. Like, And this was in night 2019? <laughs> yeah, this was like, I don't know. I actually visited Knoxville in September, late September of last year. And that was kind of when we started to really think that that was the direction that we were going in. I was heavily considering it at mm. least and visited here to think, cause I was like, do I really want to move back? You know, like, do I want to move back East? Do I want to stay in Los Angeles? Like, what do I want to do here? And, uh, so we were thinking about that kind of stuff and, um, and yeah, I mean, by November, the business was official and, um, Gray Street. Well, yeah. Gray Street events. Yeah. Going back to your Dave Matthews band. There you uh, go uh there um so we founded yeah gray street in uh, november of last year and started you know promoting ourselves which was new in some ways for me uh to have to be out there selling yourself all the time but but it really wasn't that different than booking shows because i started out as a you know booking my first show when i was 17 and i was a, a high schooler and and then even when I was at AC, that even though we did have Bonnaroo, like we were still nobodies in a lot of people's eyes. A lot of people right. thought that they didn't know AC Entertainment existed. They knew Superfly. Mm-hmm. They had no clue that AC Entertainment even existed. So we were always fighting that. So it, that f- kind of fighter in me, I guess, kind of had to come back out a little you bit. You were always selling the brand. <laughs> yeah, you're always selling like, hey, I can produce your show at a high level and I will make sure it's successful and you'll make money. It's a chip and, on your shoulder yeah. type deal, you know? It's important to have, <laughs> yeah. I think. Not, not yeah. being so cocky that you can Oh, yeah, do no, it. no. I, I had no, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've had great careers, but I had no expectation that we would just be successful, you know, or something, so. Well, so how'd that go? You started a company at the end of 2019 and so I had some guys born and raised, uh, Garrett and Kent on the podcast mm-hmm. and they, they have a, a company a little bit similar to what you do. They book and, and produce stuff. 
Uh, but 2020 was a banner year for those guys. I mean, they had enough business on the <laughs> yeah. book to, to really get this thing off the ground and get going. Did the same kind of thing happen to you? Pretty much. Uh, you know, we, by, uh, I don't know, by the end of March, I think we were, had two thirds of the sales that we needed, you know, nice. which for the was, whole year. Yeah. For the whole year to get, to hit the goals and, I, and they were it was a solid goal. Like it wasn't like an easy goal. Yeah. You weren't sandbagging. No. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, all right, we can, we can close the gap here. You know, we're only three months into this. Um, so I felt good about it. I mean, funny enough, we were working on Bonnaroo, uh, uh, even, even in a, a whole different As capacity. a contractor. Yeah. 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 That's what's cool. Um, keep those bridges. Yeah, man. Yeah. They all, I'll tell you the one, one of the biggest things I've learned, uh, I'm sure we'll get to this here in a moment. Um, you just never know how people are going to come back into your life and how all the dots will connect and the relationships you've built. And that's another thing, you know, about those internships. Like that's the other thing I'll say to people all the time, like networking, network, even I don't even really like using that word, but just genuinely building relationships with people. It'll pay dividends forever. You just don't, you won't know sometimes. Just where be it'll a come good up. person. Well, yeah. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. Just be nice. Yeah. Treat people with respect. It sounds easy. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Keep a level head. Yeah. Uh, and you'll win, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did you realize that the two-thirds of your whole year's worth of sales was going to be shut down by a <laughs> pandemic? Uh, it happened. We were doing an event called St. Pat's and Five Points, which was in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, I know. My parents used to live right next to Five Points. All right. So I had a a, a good friend named Trey Judy who went to uh same college. I did Wofford. Big big Bonnaroo fan, big Jam fan. He was St. Patrick's Day is huge at Five Points. They dye the huge. fountain green. Yeah, like it's big. it's a big deal. It's, it's where like, everybody in Columbia yeah, goes yeah, for it's the It's like yeah. it's quoted to be like 30,000 people. So yeah. uh yeah, big downtown multi-stage. Yeah. Total like big party town, yeah. whole whole towns like you said and um i'm glad you know this because most people i tell about they're like i have no idea what you're my parents about. <laughs> used to live on lauren street which okay. is just on the other side yeah, of the yeah. tracks from five points yeah yeah, yeah. so we, that was going to be our first event with him which was going to be cool to reconnect again reconnect with somebody i hadn't talked to in probably five years um and you know the news is happening and I'd, i had traveled a couple of times i'd been to los angeles recently i'd been to new york recently i think by that point uh yeah i'd been to new york and um you know it was buzzing out there you know at least worldwide news Pe- not, people knew about it yeah not it wasn't an, you know it wasn't an american threat yet i guess uh, it wasn't perceived to be at least and a couple of the cities canceled their saint patrick's day events i think san francisco was one of them mm. somebody else did and i'm like this thing ain't happening. I was like, you know, we're in the Southeast, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're a in, couple weeks out. Yeah. We're a couple, we're like a week out. It's like, we're not San Francisco. We're not, you know, New York, whatever the other cities were, Boston or something. I'm like, this has got a chance, but I'm not feeling it. And, you know, sure enough, pretty quickly it went away. And I was like, this is, did you have to make the call? No, I was, I was, I was, I was in a much, very small role there where I was handling, um, the artist relate as artist relations as we call it for the headliners mm-hmm. um with bands like band of horses so i was not in a uh, overall event management i was not responsible for how those nice decisions. is that <laughs> you know it's been interesting that was something i was talking about with a couple of friends uh <laughs> last night 
Um, it's in, in the last uh, few months, even I've not been responsible for things in the way that I used to be. And it's been kind of enjoyable because <laughs> usually I'm like number one, not, I'm not trying to sound cocky, like number one manager on duty. And that gets old <laughs> sometimes. It wears on your nerves a <laughs> yeah, little bit. Yeah. It, it, you know, it affects your sleep big time, especially yeah. when you're having to deal with emergency evacuations and, all that kind of stuff, yeah. but but anyway, yeah. That, I mean, it was St. Patrick's Day events where the, the, the where it wasn't looking so good, and then everyone wow. of course starts freaking out. And so that was middle of March. Yeah, and then it went from there. You know, it was yeah. things started dropping like flies. Well, eventually, you made it seems like to me a pretty smart business move into start instead of fighting that <laughs> movement, mm-hmm. lean into it. Which yeah. is what is which is how I met you, which is as our compliance officer mm-hmm. on our sets. Yep, for being safe for COVID. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh... Which is outrageous to me <laughs> that you had the foresight to to say there's 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 a force that's shutting down my whole industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of sideline myself with that force. And 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 help mitigate it and manage it in order to keep everybody working. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think it's noble, but I also think it's very like smart and opportunistic a little bit too. So how did that decision come down? It started out because I was working on a couple of projects. One of which was Bonnaroo, which moved from June to September. And then another festival called uh, Pilgrimage, which takes place uh, outside of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee. And even another one that was in the summer called Aussie Fest. I was actually that was a, a big one I was responsible for. I was festival director for this event that was uh, set to take place in Central Park in New York, which I was super, super That's excited. A good about. resume, yeah. Builder. I was just I was beside myself about that. Um, also a super fly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> themes here. Um, anyway, uh, I was getting myself educated on it because I thought that, you know, I would, you know, maybe on have, COVID? Yeah, well, yeah, on COVID because I thought that maybe we would have an event some form or fashion by the end of the fall, at least. Um, but even if we didn't, I, I wanted to be acting like we were going to and, yeah. and you know, get, get educated. Um, and there's this organization called the Event Safety Alliance that I've worked with for years and a member of that uh, uh, was working together to put together a reopening protocol. So I was mm. helping with that and I was just getting really interested in it and whatnot. And, you know, things started to progress. This Then we're like into May and I'm like, man, this is not looking good. Like, yeah. I don't think that we're going to have anything. Um, and I, you know, a, f- uh, a friend of my wife, Brandy, or just a, co- a former colleague, uh, sent her a message that she'd gotten, uh, done a training with an organization for film, TV, and media production in Los Angeles for COVID compliance. And I was mm. like, oh, that's okay. I don't really do media stuff, but that's interesting. Again, um, similar to the events and big you know, sets are very yeah. much like, Oh, very you, similar. Yeah. So I'm like, well, okay. So I went and checked it out and I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. This is like a proper, you know, training and certificate and looks pretty, looks pretty solid. And anyway, I did. I was like, what the hell? It's, you know, hour and a half out of my time and 50 bucks. Like, let's, let's get smart here. Mm-hmm. So I did it and I was blown away. Like I was like, Oh gosh, this is the first thing I've seen. That's like really well thought out and actionable. Comprehensive. Yeah. And- Turns out it had been based on two documents. One was put out by the LA Department of Health, 
it was called the reopening protocol for yeah music tv and film production i think is what it was called and then there was this whole other industry white paper that was put out by the association of i get all these acronyms confused of different film and tv i bet things. it was a good one i bet yeah. it spelled something yeah and they, yeah and they had all the different networks you know that they are representing and stuff but very very thorough very well thought out and i'm reading i'm going okay this like you said this is no different than a set like every you know fundamentally this is all the same you just got to do a little translation of words and you know positions and stuff but at the end of the day this is the same kind of thing we load stuff in we load stuff out you know things happen in between people get fed like there's all these things that are the same um so i just kept learning and, and it, i just would turn into a wormhole for me and i was actually funny enough interviewing for a job um for quite a while and it uh they were active in in covid times even before film was which mm. really just resume what production resume what three or four weeks ago probably nationwide yeah, for something us, like yeah. that yeah i think i think it was kind of the same for everybody so they were already they were heavily involved in schools so they were mm. like which um, is much more important than what we're doing on film sets, <laughs> yeah. by the way. So, so, so they, part of their service is in school systems. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta understand this better. So I, I got really deep and this is probably too much information, but I was writing protocols for myself and how I would do it. Really? I, yeah. I was just like, I thought I, I thought I had this job and I'm like, I gotta go. I'm gonna have to actually go do this, you know, nationwide. And this is going to be crazy. So I, I'd got myself like way deep into this and then didn't get the job. And I was like, well, okay. I was like, whatever. I still learned a lot. That's cool. Like, And then, um, I had an, uh, a former colleague, uh, named Manya Whitney, Whitney Miller that works at discovery. She worked with me at, at AC entertainment and she had seen that I'd been certified in this. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's going to be really in need here in Knoxville. I was like, is it, you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I, okay, hell yeah. Let's, you know, that sounds great. Um, ready to work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's definitely on my LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, but jokes aside, I, uh, we ended up talking and, and she connected me with pop fizz mm-hmm. and with one other media company. And, um, you know, you know, this person connects you to that person. Eventually something happens. Um, and we ended up doing the COVID compliance, as you said, for, for a food network shoot. Yeah. And it's been awesome. I've actually really enjoyed it because it, it, uh, for me, like I was working part of my whole business goal and personal goal with Grace street was to get outside of live music. Mm. So to get into this where it's something similar, but different, right. you know, has been exactly what I wanted to do with, with myself in my career and just again just to do something new and learning was my other thing i wanted to learn something new and so covid's been obviously a whole right. new thing to learn by itself but, but i bet sitting around on film productions has yeah. been pretty eye-opening mm-hmm. too a little bit getting to see absolutely a, a different industry operate at oh, yeah. kind of some, somewhat of the same level yeah that you guys were definitely yeah. and then and then i love um food and drink is my rival passion for um, for music. music, you know, I think in some, some days I would say it, it, it I'm, I'm more passionate about it because I was passionate about it earlier in my life. And so the fact that it started with the food network was like pretty awesome, <laughs> you know, um, it's like universe. I hear you, whatever yeah, you're trying to exactly. say, I'm here for it. And, you know, I'm in my, my job for many years has been, um, I've overseen the safety and security and medical and police. So and you know how to speak response. the language, so right? all that stuff was stuff that I, 
already did and the stuff that I care about because I don't know. I don't know why I care about it. Somebody asked me that there. I was like, I don't know. I just kind of, I've always, I've always been into like risk management and legal stuff. And I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Just maybe it's just the way I'm wired. I just, I, I care about it. And somebody's got to care about it, yeah. you know, you know, in, in the organization. Or nobody will. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so I don't know, like it was, for me, it was, a. Uh, something that was easy to sort of get excited about. Yeah. Which sounds kind of weird. But. Well, it, it, it's not when you look at the climate, you know, and mm-hmm. to see that you're working and it, it just, it, it's, it's smart of you, man. And, and it's very much needed too. It's something that not a lot of people were backfilling into that space of, of, okay, there's a new, there's a new thing we need to watch out for. And yeah. somebody's got to manage that. You know? Yeah, yeah. And like you said earlier, like I part of my agenda was not merely just to I mean, obviously working isn't as important and needed, but it's also to help the end the media and entertainment industries get back online. And if we can do it safely, you know, I say this in the safety meetings, you hear me say this, like then we'll be able to continue to work. And uh I think that's really important. That's something everybody can get behind. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know? for sure. For sure. So that's, yeah, that's, that's been the story. And so, uh, fortunately we're here in Knoxville and there's, um, a fair, you know, I think an unusual amount of, um, media production because we, disproportionate. You know, yeah. Disproportionate. That's, that's, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Yeah, there really is. Which is really cool. Cause AC is kind of the same way. Like we get a disproportionate amount of concerts that come through Knoxville for the mm-hmm. size town that it is. And it's because AC entertainment's here and it's right. front of mind, Yeah, which is cool. It's cool that we're, that we're geared up for it mm-hmm. and that we're ready. We can take it all. Mm-hmm. Did we miss anything? Um, my my goal no. is to be exhausted, <laughs> exhausting and exhausting. Uh, no, I no. I mean, we you, you called us right up to uh, where we are today. I'm interested to see how things continue to evolve in in TV and film and in media. Like you know, if it's gonna, it feels to me like it's just going. To, everyone's doing a pretty good job in figuring it out, like just from reading news articles and stuff. And it, we're going to be able to remain open and keep working throughout this, however long it goes on, as long as we keep doing what we're doing right now, which is exciting because not that can't be said of some other, uh, you know, forms of entertainment. Right. So. I'm no, very man. grateful for what we've got going. And yeah. I'm very grateful that we have a guy like you. No, I appreciate that. Who is helping us push that boat forward in the right direction in a safe kind of way. Yeah. yeah. And it's good to work with people who care. You know, it's, it's, uh, that was one of the things that worried me was like, Oh, you know, if the, if the people I'm working with don't, you know, if I'm like a hindrance or an annoyance yeah, or something, I'm, I'm like, just the fun police here yeah. that's just telling them to back up and put your yeah. mask back on. Yeah. So, cause, cause it's, you know, that I, I'm sure that's out there, you know, I'm sure it is too. And I think it probably depends on who you're working with. You yeah. Know? And people have, you know, different, I, I think that your approach of let's do it, let's, let's be safe. Let's all get back to work. I think that resonates with just about everybody. <laughs> yeah. When your pocketbook's been affected by it, you're maybe a little more apt to, uh, you know, playing the game, <laughs> play the game a little bit, not, yeah. but there are many other reasons beyond that. Not to say that money is the reason it, uh, yeah, there's you know, a it's, lot of it's them. Nice to be healthy too. It is, and to take <laughs> care of our elders. Yeah, you know, yeah. and people that are that are probably more affected by this than yeah, for than sure we, than we are. Absolutely, dude. Thank you so much for doing yeah, it. This is a good time. Appreciate it a lot. It really was.
how'd we do, guys? I thought it was great. I love talking to Charlie. He's a, a wealth of knowledge in the live music and pole star kind of world. So uh, great dude. I appreciate him a lot. Um, thank you guys for listening. And uh, check us out, southofscruffy.com. we got all kinds of merch and other cool stuff there. Uh, follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Send me an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. All the things. Thank you guys so much. Matt Honkinen, play me 